What an awesome truth. What we just heard in song was the gospel. The title of the message today is the gospel. In fact, I can give you one guess what the passage for the message of today is. John chapter 3. Please join me as we look at the third chapter of John. And for those that aren't familiar with me, which is, you know, pretty much all of you, the way that I teach Scripture, the way I preach, is to delve into a passage, maybe to look a little bit at the background, get some context, and then move forward through the passage, focusing on a couple of key things, like what does this mean? And what does this mean to me? And if that's what it means, if that's what God is saying, then what do I need to do? Because I believe that if we're going to study God's Word, we need to apply it to our lives. Otherwise, it's kind of useless. And I know some of you may be going, you just said God's Word is useless. If you don't use it, then it has no effect in your life. And this passage we're about to look at makes some things very clear. And I wanted as, as my first uh, message as pastor, the last one didn't count because I was, you know, coming in view of a call, this is as pastor, was to lay out the gospel. Because that's the foundation of what we do. That's the foundation of our relationship with God. And if we don't have that squared away, then the rest of it is just being busy. Anybody busy out there? Yeah, not just busy. I'm not saying you're not saved if you're busy, okay? But we're busy. We've got stuff to do. It seems like in today's world, even though we may have more time than we had before, because we're stuck at home and half the stuff is closed and we're not supposed to be around people, we may go, wow, I've got more time. And yet there seems to be less time, doesn't there? Busy is not necessarily a good thing. Active accomplishing things, that's a good thing. Let's strive to be active in following our Savior. Let's look at the passage today. In John chapter 3, we have this encounter between a teacher of the law named Nicodemus and Jesus. Now, Nicodemus, he approaches this with some sensitivity. He comes to Jesus at night to ask him these questions. Because let's face it, even by this point, most of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, teachers of the law... They weren't real hip on Jesus. I, a lot of what he was saying, they felt kind of contradicted what they'd been teaching. He was a threat to their power, to their authority with the people. And they didn't like it too much. Nicodemus was different. From this moment to, well, the end of this gospel, we see Nicodemus as an interesting character. It is Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea that go and ask to take Jesus' body down from the cross. That tells you the outcome of this discussion that Nicodemus had with Jesus. Join me in the third chapter. It says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. 
Now, he says we, and you get the idea, there are some other members of the Pharisees that do acknowledge that, but we know from discussions with Jesus given account of in the Gospels that there were plenty that were willing to discount what Jesus did and ignore what Jesus said. Nicodemus was not one of those. But he saw what Jesus was doing. He caught a glimpse of the Savior, and he wanted to know more. And so here he is asking. He says, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher. So he's acknowledging who Jesus is, his authority, his origins. And then we get to verse 3. Jesus Let me try that again with real words. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. There's that phrase, born again. It's kind of become almost cliche in our modern world, hasn't it? There have been those that have proclaimed it boldly over the years. Billy Graham did a phenomenal job. His son Franklin Graham at the festivals that he holds still does a phenomenal job of proclaiming the gospel, of encouraging people to be born again. But even in today's modern world, with all the history that we have, there are many who hear that phrase and go, that sounds kind of weird. Because let's face it, it sounds kind of weird. So what does it mean? Nicodemus responds, as as is sensible, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked, Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb and be born. And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you. In other words, I'm telling you the truth here. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh, it gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. He's saying, look, there are things in this life that you can see and that you can lay your hands on and you can grasp hold of. And there are things in this life that you can see the evidence of even though you can't touch it. You have been physically born, but you know there is something else. And you need that. And that is a spiritual birth. When we are physically born, he doesn't go into it here, but Paul does over in the book of Romans. When you are physically born, you are born into the line of Adam and you get his inheritance. You get that bent to sin. You get a fallen nature that needs a Savior. And that only ends one way if you continue to live just in that reality. But you need to be born of the Spirit, born of God, given life and life everlasting. Because that ends a very different way. And so he says to Nicodemus, look, it's more than just the physical, there's the spiritual. And this shouldn't be a surprise to you. Interestingly enough, Nicodemus being a Pharisee, and I'll give you a little background on the religious groups here, You had a couple of dominant religious groups in the world at that time within Judaism. You had Pharisees and Sadducees, and it's it's hokey, but I'm going to give you a way to remember the difference. Pharisees were all about law. They were all about rules. They were the 
the local preachers, actually, in the communities. They ran the synagogue schools, and they, they, they ran the synagogues, and they led worship for the people. And then you had the Sadducees. So you got Pharisees about the law, fair. The Sadducees, they were aligned more with the priesthood. They dealt more with temple duties and temple worship in Jerusalem. And there were some theological differences. You don't have to understand all these, but know this about them. The Pharisees were all about the law, but they believed in a resurrection. They believed in an eternal life in the presence of God. The Sadducees believed that God rewarded you or punished you for your obedience in this life. And when this life was over, there was nothing. And the way you can keep that, Pharisees, law, they were fair. Sadducees didn't believe in anything past this life, so they were sad. Did you see? Yeah. I know. It's bad. You can cringe now. It's okay. You're wearing a mask. I won't see it. But that will help you keep those two straight. They had very different views of the world. So a Pharisee asking Jesus about this, and Jesus is going, you ought to get this. You ought to get that there's physical and spiritual. Because the Pharisees were the guys that understood that. And so he wants, uh, Jesus wants Nicodemus to really grasp this. So he goes on. How can this be, Nicodemus asks in verse 9. And then verse 10. You are Israel's teacher said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, there's a reference there to an Exodus account, and I'll let you do your homework on that. But in the Old Testament, there's an account where vipers come out of the bushes and stuff, and they're attacking the Israelites as they're in their desert wandering. And people are getting struck by these venomous snakes. They're getting sick. They're dying. And they're calling out to God, God, save us. Now, of course, this is all a progression because for, you know, better part of 40 years, they've been disobeying God, suffering the consequences, and calling out for God to save them. Well, this is a replay of that. And what God commands Moses to do is to make a bronze serpent and to affix it to a pole. And to hold that up and march through the camp. And those that will look upon that serpent on that pole being held up. And understand that God has promised that if they place their faith in him. And look at this symbol. Then they would be healed. And they were. It's that that Jesus is referring to here. And he's saying, look, when the Son of Man, by the way, Son of Man, that's just Jesus' favorite nickname for himself. It has its roots in the book of Daniel and some other places. He's saying, look, when the Son of Man is lifted up, like on a pole, then people are going to look to him. 
and through faith in God, they will be saved. Just like the Israelites in the wilderness were saved from the consequence of being bit by that snake when they looked on that serpent on a pole and trusted in God. Jesus is saying, look, you've got to look to me. You've got to look to me. But see, the passage doesn't end there. But he does say that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, we get to 16. You probably know 16. It's already been quoted today. It's been sung today. But let's look at 16 together. In John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world. Why did God do what He did? Why the cross? Why the pain and suffering and death of the Christ? Why? It's right there. Because God loves you. Because God so loved the world. He was moved to action. For God so loved the world that He gave. He didn't bargain. He didn't set up an an economy here. He gave. His one and only Son, that's Jesus the Christ, that is God in the flesh, come, lived among us, sinless, perfect life, showing us who the Father is and then dying to pay the price for our sins. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish. If you believe in Him, you will not perish. It will not end. But have eternal life. Now, you know the passage, don't you? You're familiar with the passage. This shouldn't be something new for you. And the reality of it is God in His love for us has opened a way of salvation and all we need to do is trust Him and step into it. Now, normally we stop reading there. I'm not going to. We're going to pick up in 17 in just a moment. But before we do, Let me ask, have you ever had anyone address the issue, how could a loving God condemn so many people to hell? You ever heard that question? A few of you? Yeah, I'm seeing some hands out there. Yeah. And hey, if you frame it that way, that's a real question, isn't it? If you were to sit there and go, okay, God is all love. I mean, over in one of John's letters, he says God is love, right? So God is love. God loves everybody. So that means everybody's okay with God, right? No. It doesn't. Does God love everybody? Yes. He does. For God so loved the world that He took action. So why doesn't God save everybody? That question misses a huge point. God has done everything necessary to save everyone. Christ on the cross paid the price 
for the sins of the world. They're paid for. The problem is we don't accept. We reject. He goes on in verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds are evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what they have done has been done in the sight of God. What's he saying? He's saying this. The reality is all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All of us are guilty of being sinners. And that sin costs us. When we stand condemned already, the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. Death. We're all sinners. The cost of being a sinner is death. This isn't sounding too good, is it? We stand condemned already. Why did Jesus come into the world? To save us. So that we don't have to live condemned anymore. Scripture also tells us that God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us us. Sounds kind of like John 3.16, doesn't it? God's love for us led Him to take action to save us. Yeah. So, how are we saved? For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. How are we saved? How do we move from standing condemned already because of who we are? And you may go, well, I don't think I'm that bad. I'm a pretty good person. I'm nice to people. I take care of people. I care about other people. Right? How bad can I be? Do I really deserve hell? Well, let's do a little mental exercise here. And it's pretty easy. It's pretty straightforward. But bear with me on it. And I'm going to ask you to do something. You don't have to get up. But I'm going to ask you to raise a hand. How many of you can remember some of the Ten Commandments? Okay, thou shalt not lie is one of them. So if you can't remember any, just go ahead and put your hand up and you've, you got one. Um, yeah, okay, Ten Commandments. We can get a grasp on that. I won't ask you to recite what they are. Because you get some really weird commandments when you do that. We think we know ten until we start listing them. Thou shalt not dig in your wife's purse. Thou shalt, eh, you know. Um, God helps those that help themselves. So, no. um, but think of the ten. Think of the things you're not supposed to do. Now, in word, thought, or deed, have you ever violated the ten commandments? Hands up. Just one of them. Once, even. Yeah, we're all guilty of it. 
every one of us has violated the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are not God's hit list, okay? He's not sitting there going, all right, you're all good with me until you step out of line, then I'm going to get you. You know that ice storm last week? You're out of line. No. That's not what God does. Those commandments are there to show us the character and nature of God. You want to know what God's holiness looks like? It looks like His commands. Because what His commands do is describe His nature and character. And they help us see a fundamental reality of our lives. We don't measure up to His holiness. We don't even come close. And if the cost of not being holy like God is holy is to be removed from His presence. By the way, His presence is heaven and the only other residence available is hell. Then all of us, because of our sin, deserves hell, right? And we've already established all of us have broken at least one of the Ten Commandments. At least once. So what do we all deserve? Hell for eternity. And yet it doesn't have to be that way. Because the whole gospel, the whole good news of God's Word is this. God loves you. And He wants to change your destination for eternity. And He wants to give you a purpose and a significance in this life that you have not experienced before Him. Because He loves you. How does He do that? Through Christ. Christ Jesus came, lived a sinless life, died a sinless sacrifice to pay the price for all of us who were guilty. Now, how does that help you and me? Again, let's look at the verse. For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him to believe in Christ. This isn't, well, I believe there was a Jesus. We had Christmas. We celebrated. I believe in, in baby Jesus. I believe there was a great teacher, a great moral leader named Jesus that existed. That's not belief. That may be acknowledgement of some, some history. That may be just declaring what you're comfortable with. But when the Scripture talks about belief in Jesus, it is a wholesale I'm in 100%. I'm going to live like He is the center of my world. Because from here on out, He is. That's what it is to believe in Jesus. It is not just the head, it is also the heart. It is saying, I believe Jesus. I believe everything He said was true. And He said that I need to turn to Him to call on His name and be saved. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to trust in Him to forgive my sin and to pay that price I can't afford to pay. So, have you believed? Because it's very simple. Whoever believes in Him. Have you taken that step of faith to believe? Have you been, as Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about, born, not just physically born, you're here, we'll take that for granted. Have you been spiritually born? That second birth, that life that comes 
through forgiveness and a relationship with God because we broke the relationship. We were separate from God. We were bound by death. But God stepped in and provided a way of salvation. Have you turned to Christ, confessing to Him you're a sinner, accepting His forgiveness, and committing to live your life in relationship with Him? Have you done that? Because folks, that is the good news. You don't have to be who you were. You don't have to be where you were. And it doesn't matter what you have done. It is forgiven. And you are made right with God to live in relationship with Him. So I'll ask it this way. Do you need to take that step today? Whether you're in the room with us or joining us online. Do you need to take that step of trusting in God for life and life eternal? I would encourage you, if you're thinking in your heart, yeah, I, I need to do that. Don't waste this moment. Turn to God in prayer. You may go, well, I'm not comfortable with prayer. I'm not sure how to pray. Let me let you in on a secret. Prayer is just one of those church words for talking to God. So just talk to Him. Turn to God in prayer. Confess to Him that you're a sinner. You don't have to confess every sin. You're going to miss some. But confess to Him your state of being a sinner. And ask Him to forgive you, believing that He can and does. Because folks, He makes it clear in His Word that He can and He does because He loves you. So confess to God you're a sinner. Ask Him to forgive you, believing He can and does. And then commit yourself to live with Him as Lord of your life. Let Him be God in your life. And quit trying to be God in your own life. That's what got you in trouble to begin with. Follow Him. And understand, when you take that step, God forgives you. In fact, Scripture talks about you then being in the eyes of God a new creation. It's that second birth and it changes everything in your relationship with God. Do you need to take that step? You may say, but if I do that, I may still mess up. I mean, that song talked about you know, laying down my sin and laying down my addictions at the foot of the cross, but what if I pick them back up? It's not all on you. Because God promises that when you turn to Him and trust in Him for salvation, He gives His very presence in your life. The gift of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ living in your life. And if you'll listen to Him as He lives in your life, your life will bring glory to God. And He will lead you away from, not into, disobedience and sin. And when Christ died for sin, He died for all of it. Past, present, and future. So you are still forgiven. Turn to Him. Follow Him. Do you need to take that step this morning? Like I said, whether you're online or in the room, if you need to turn to Christ and take care of that business, respond to this Gospel that is given to us in God's Word, now's the time. 
In fact, what I'd like to do at this point is I'd like to lead us in prayer. And I'm not going to lead us in a sinner's prayer. I'm going to ask you to pray what's on your heart. Cover those three areas I gave you. Admit to God you're a sinner. Ask his forgiveness. Commit yourself to follow him. But I want to lift you in prayer if you're making that decision. And if you're not making that decision and you already know the Lord, I want to ask you to lift up those that may be making that decision this morning. Or whenever it is, they join us online and listen to this message. Let's turn to God in prayer during this time. And if you need to use it to take care of business with Christ, do it. Do it this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as as we have come to this moment, you have made your word clear. And Father, you have opened hearts and shown that we are in need of a Savior. Lord, for those that have responded to you already and received your gift of forgiveness, Lord, we rejoice. Those of us that have received it, we rejoice in this relationship we have with you, in the purpose and significance and meaning that it gives us, but in the promise of life, an eternal life in your hands. And Father, we lift up to you those that are turning to you in faith, those that are reaching out, confessing to you that they are sinners seeking your forgiveness and entering into that new life in relationship with you. Father, we lift them to you in these moments and we ask that you would guide them. Father, that you would lead them in this life to those who know you and follow you and can gather around them and build them up. Father, that can help them grow in their walk with you as they seek to learn more of your word and who you are and what it means to follow Christ. And Father, I pray that you will use us as a church to walk with them and to grow with them for your glory and for your kingdom. Lord, I lift up these turning to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed to accept Christ, We're not having an invitation at the end of the service where you come down. But I want to encourage you, find a leader in the church. Find me. Find somebody who knows Christ as their Savior and Lord and let them know about this decision in your life. Scripture talks about how the angels in heaven rejoice over the one who is found. We want to celebrate what God's doing in your life. We want to celebrate this new life that you have. So let us know. If you're in the room, let us know. If you're joining us online, contact us. Let us know. And look around. You may have family members, co-workers, friends that know Christ and follow Him. Let them know what's going on. Let them walk with you as you begin this journey of faith.